Hey, in the next couple of weeks, our building project is going to kick into high gear. We're supposed to get the plans back from uh, Morton sometime next week, and then we'll start the process of hiring the subcontractors to move the dirt around and pour the concrete. The, the building will go up. Hopefully, it'll be up by the middle of June, uh, the building itself. Uh, still a lot of work to finish it on the inside with the electrical and the plumbing and uh, the brick on the outside and then uh, uh, the, the sprinklers. Uh, but, I, but I covet your prayers for myself and the deacons and the trustees as we lead the church in this process. Here's what I've been praying for myself. I've been asking God to make me a leader during this project that would be pleasing to him. I mean, I... I, I I want to please you, but more than that, I want to please him. So that's what I've been praying. And as I prayed, he he seemed to ask me a question. He says, okay, you can pray, but what else are you going to do? And, uh, you know, I mean, he didn't speak to me, but it just impressed on my heart. Okay, I hear your prayer. You want to please me and lead in this project, but what else are you going to do to get ready? And I I struggled because that question keeps coming back to my mind. And uh, Friday night, Brother Harry McMahon called me. Brother Harry calls me every now and then. We chat for about half hour, 45 minutes, depending on what he and Marlene uh, have, have going. And he, he was, we were talking about the building a little bit, and he mentioned a couple verses from the book of Nehemiah. And it was almost like God said, okay, now that's it. That's, that's what I was talking to you about. Uh, I, 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 I believe that the Bible has the answer for every situation in life. And I believe the Bible has all the answers to the questions and the concerns and the different things that are going to come up in this project. So I went back to God in my prayer and I said, God, you asked me what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay in the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to try to read the book of Nehemiah every other day uh, while we're going through this project because I believe there's enough truth and wisdom in that book uh, to, to get anybody through any building project. In fact, Nehemiah is one of my two favorite books in the Bible. I have two favorite books in the Bible, the book of Joshua and the book of Nehemiah. I like Joshua because a wall came down. I like Nehemiah because a wall went up. Every time I preach, I have one goal. I want you to leave this place ready to tear something down or ready to build something up. And so uh, I think there's a lot of truth in the book of Nehemiah. uh, And we're probably going to be looking at it as I read it often. We're going to be looking at it every now and then over the next few months. You know the story. Uh, Babylon came in and defeated Israel uh, because of Israel's sin. Israel turned away from God. God warned them over and over and over, said, I'm going to destroy you, and he did using the nation of Babylon. They came in, they tore down the walls of Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple of God. Now, that ought to be, a, I could stop right there and that would make a good message. You can't sin and get by with it. These were God's people. They sinned and God punished sin. What makes us think that we can get by and God not punish our sin? If he punished the sin of his own chosen people, he will punish sin today. He hasn't changed. And so the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. They tore down the walls. They also took people captive. They carried people back to their land. Now, the people were in captivity for 70 years. The captors changed during that time because the Medes and the Persians defeated Babylon. Babylon. But 70 years, God said, he, he, he prophesied that they were going to be in ta- captivity for 70 years. So the 70 years were up in the year 537 B.C. 
Cyrus was king of Persia. He made a proclamation to the Jews. Hey, if you want to go home, if you want to go back to Jerusalem, you're free to go. A man by the name of Zerubbabel led a group of 50,000 Jews, and they went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. 79 years later, in 458 B.C., Ezra led a second expedition of 1,200 Jews back to Jerusalem. The book of Nehemiah starts 13 years after that, in the, in the year 445 B.C. So it was 13 years after Ezra came back. It was 92 years after Zerubbabel came back. I want to read a few verses from chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chisla, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hamni, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah was sad. The Jews had been back, over 50,000 of them, for over 92 years, and the only thing that they rebuilt was the temple. And as a result of having no protection around their city, the Bible says they were in great affliction and reproach. And God put in Nehemiah's heart the the desire to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, most of you know the story. He went to the king, got the king's okay. He went back to Jerusalem. He spent three days looking around. And on day four, he called the people together and he says, let's rebuild the walls. And in 52 days, 52 days, the walls were built. The Jews had been in Jerusalem for 92 years. And Nehemiah comes, and in less than two months, he gets the walls rebuilt. Now again, a lot of truth in the book of Nehemiah. This morning, I just want to look at him. I want to look at some four things about Nehemiah that I think led to him going back to Jerusalem, led to his success in leading the people to build the walls, and, and ask you this morning if you would take these, four, these same four things, if we would take these same four things and put them into our lives over the next few weeks as we arise and build the addition to our building. Here are the four things. Number one, he was dissatisfied and saddened with the current condition. It said there in verse 4, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. The people of God were in great affliction and reproach. The walls were down. They had no protection. Their enemies could come at any time and attack and disrupt their lives, and there was nothing to stop them. I mean, if they planted crops, the enemies could come and take them. If they raised animals, the enemies could come and take them. They lived in constant fear. They were setting ducks because they had no walls. They had no protection, and they could not live the life that God intended for them to live. You see, God never intends for his people to live in great affliction. 
He never intends for his people to live in great reproach. God never intends for his people to live in constant fear. God wants his people to enjoy the bountiful blessings that he provides his people. That was true in the Garden of Eden before sin. That was true when he blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was true when Joshua led God's people into the promised land. And by the way, it's true today. He wants his people to enjoy the bountiful blessings that he provides. Nehemiah heard how God's people were living, and he was dissatisfied. He was sad. Second thing I want you to notice, he caught a vision of how it could be different. His vision was simple. Jerusalem needs to be a city with walls around it. Walls that would keep the enemies out. Walls that would provide a sense of security for God's people. Laws, uh, walls that would lead to prosperity and a way of life that God intended for them to live. You see, walls in Nehemiah's day, they provided a stronghold. They didn't have tanks back in those days. They didn't have bazookas. They didn't have these, uh, the, these, ro- uh, these, these rockets that you launch that go boom and knock everything down. If you lived in a city with a wall, the only way that you could be defeated was for somebody to knock that wall down, which was pretty hard back in those days, or you had to trick them into coming out. And we read about a couple battles in the Bible to where, where God's people did that to, to people they were fighting and tricked them to come out of the cities. And so Nehemiah caught a vision. His vision, again, was simple. Jerusalem with walls around it. Number three, he was willing to make a personal sacrifice, get involved, and make this vision a reality. Now, I will remind you, Nehemiah had a good job. He had a great job. He was the king's cupbearer. He he stood in front of the king. He, He was part of the king's household. He had a life of ease, no worries, unless somebody, of course, tried to poison the king. And then he sort of got the poison first and I guess would die that way. But other than that little detail, he, he, he lived a good life. I mean, he had everything that he wanted. And yet, when he went to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, he was willing to trade that life of ease for a life of hard labor, for a life of danger, for a life that included the worries of leadership. He was willing to do that because he... He was sad and dissatisfied with how God's people were living. And God gave him a vision of how it could be different. And he says, I'm going to do my part to make that happen. And then number four, I want you to see that Nehemiah realized that he couldn't do it on his own. That he needed God's help. And so it says in in verse four of chapter one, he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he asked God to help him. He asked God to give him strength and wisdom, perseverance. He asked for God's blessings. Now, I'm not done yet. Say, preacher, you made your four points. Boy, we're going to get out of here, right? I'm not done yet. I submit to you that we need to do those same four things as we approach our building project. Number one, we need to get dissatisfied. You say, pastor... Why should we get dissatisfied? I thought the church was doing pretty good. I want to tell you, the church is doing pretty good. 
Last four months, we've had five people saved, 18 baptized, and 22 joined the church. We now have 200 members in our church, more than we've ever had in our whole history. We finished last year with our best October, November, and December average attendance in the morning service. Our best October, November, and December. And we started 2015, thanks to a large part to Mr. Jan Uary, uh, having our best January in our history. Now, we sort of lost it in February. We had our third best February. Uh, but, you know, we had some weather one of the Sundays that sort of drove our average down. But, as I mentioned in the announcements, we're on track to have our best March. And so for over the last five months, we've had our best attendance ever for those months. Our two new Sunday school classes, they're off to a great start. And, uh, and, and they, 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 they seem to be enjoyable, people coming and, and, and learning. Um, we, we're averaging 65 in Awana. We had, when we're averaging 60 in Senior Saints. I told Brother Wayne uh, Thursday night when we, we had 57 for Senior Saints. I said, Brother Wayne, it wasn't too long ago. I remember 57 was a good crowd for a Sunday morning. It hasn't been that long. And by the way... I know you don't think about this, but I think about it every now and then. We've met the budget in January and February, and we're on track to beat it in March. Last year, we didn't meet the budget till April. And so the church is doing good, and you might have a right to ask, well, why should I be dissatisfied? Let me tell you why I want you to be a little dissatisfied, because God has more for us to do. There's more people we need to tell about Jesus. There's more little boys and girls we need to teach the Bible to. The book of Lamentation says, His mercies are new every day. I don't want to live on yesterday's mercies. I want some new mercies for today. David had been anointed several times, yet he wrote in Psalm 92.10, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. David wanted the fresh blessings from God every day. Paul was toward the end of his life. He'd already accomplished a lot for God when he wrote the book of Philippians, and yet he wrote in Philippians, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Listen to me, ladies. Your husband said, I love you last Monday. Is that going to last you for the rest of the year? Men, your wives expressed their love to you last Saturday. Is that going to last you through the end of July? No. I mean, you, you wouldn't be satisfied with that. You want expressions of their love on, on, on a daily basis. Well... In the same way, I don't think God wants us to be sad. And and by the way, I'm thankful for everything God's done. I praise him every day. I thank him every day. I never thought I'd be a pastor with 200 members. I never thought I'd preach to crowds over 200. I never dreamed about that when God called me. I thank him every day. But I I don't want us to be satisfied. He's He's got more for us. And we won't go after that more unless we are a little bit dissatisfied. Then number two, we need to catch a vision. We need to catch a vision of more people getting saved, of more people getting baptized, of more people joining the church. A vision where the auditorium, even after we expanded, is so crowded that we got to do something else. 
I mean, we got to keep the choir up here. And we're, we're talking about maybe reopening the balcony, depending on, on, on some things. I mean, we need to catch a vision where, where God says, hey, you keep being faithful. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have to do something else. You think you're done with just one building? <laughs> don't, don't, don't count on it. I have more for you. And instead of 65 little kids in Awana on Wednesday night, what if we had 165? 165 little kids that were telling them that Jesus loves them, that were telling them that Jesus died for them, that were teaching them the word of God, that were teaching them to learn Jesus. What would be wrong with having 165? I know some of the workers are saying, oh, no. <laughs> it's bad enough with 65. They had less hair than they, when they started. But listen, if God blesses, he'll give us what we need. So number three, we need to get involved to make that vision a reality. Let me ask you this morning, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? What has God called you to do? He didn't save us so that we could just set He has a work for every Christian to do. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then number four, just like Nehemiah, we need to realize that to do it, we need God's help. The Bible says he fasted and prayed certain days. I don't think Nehemiah just had a five-minute prayer. I don't think he just had an hour of prayer. I think he fasted and prayed certain days, and it was in those certain days that God gave him the vision. It was in those certain days that God called him to go back to Jerusalem. It was in those certain days that God gave him what he needed to go back and rebuild the walls. I think we need those same four things. So I've made my four points a second time, but I'm not done yet. You see, I submit to you this morning that those four things are not new things to most people in this room. I submit to you this morning that those same four steps are what we went through before we asked Jesus to be our Savior. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you've never asked Christ to save you, I want you to listen for the next couple of minutes because I want to talk to you just for a second. You see, in in order for a person to get saved, first of all, they have to get dissatisfied. They have to realize there's something missing in their life. They have to realize there's a hole in their life that they've tried to fill with the things of the world, but the things of the world don't fill it. The things of the world don't satisfy it. Look, you you were made in the image of God. You were made to fellowship uh, with him. And your sin separates you from your creator. Your sin separates you from the one that wants a relationship with you. And by the way, I may not know you. I may have just met you today. I speak on the authority of this book. Every single person is a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because your sin separates you from God, you're just like the people living in Jerusalem without the walls. You cannot live the life apart from God that he wants you to live, that he made you to live. You can't do it apart from him. And so you have to get a little dissatisfied. You have to realize there's something missing in your life. And what's missing is your relationship with God, your creator. You have to catch a vision Somebody needs to tell you what it's like to be a Christian. 
Somebody needs to tell you what it's like to be a child of the king. Somebody needs to tell you what it's like to be part of the family of God. To have a father that keeps his eye on you every moment. To have a God who promises to meet your every need. To have a God that says, I'll prepare a place for you in heaven. And when you leave this earth, I'll bring you to heaven so that you can live with me forever and ever and ever. And by the way, while you're still on earth, I'll give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Somebody needs to tell you about the Holy Spirit, that part of God that moves into your heart and into your life when you get saved, that, that guides and, and, and strengthens and encourages. Somebody needs to tell you about that vision of what it is to be a Christian. And they need to tell you that the only way you can get it is to come to Jesus Christ. And then number three, you need to do like Nehemiah. You need to do something. You need to do something. People all the time say, okay, I'm ready. I'll work. I'll do whatever it takes to be a Christian. Like the rich young ruler that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? We don't need to do anything. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas the same question that the rich young ruler asked Jesus. Rich and ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? The answer was the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's what you need to do. You don't have to work. You just have to trust him. The rich young ruler was trusting his wealth. That was his security. Our security are not in the things of this world. Things of this world are going to pass away. hundred years from now, what you have in the bank and the possessions you have, they're just going to be dust. They'll be worthless. But where you are a hundred years from now will be determined by what you do with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so, you need to take action. And you need to do number four, what Nehemiah did, you need to go to the Lord in prayer and you say to God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe when you went to Calvary's cross, you died for me. Please save me. Please save me and make, you one, make me one of your children. God has done that. Jesus had done, has done that for many, many people in this room. The vast majority have asked Jesus to save them, and he's answered that prayer. If you're here this morning and you have never done that, the next few minutes could be the most important minutes of your life. Because, you see, you have to make a decision. Yeah, just a minute, preacher. I didn't come to make a decision. I didn't come here this morning. To, well, I'm sorry. You're here. You've heard the gospel. So you now have to make a decision. If you've never been saved, you either accept it, and ask Jesus to save you, or you reject it and walk out and say no. You can't leave neutral. You either decide for him or against him. Sorry, I guess we should have put a sign on the door. You're going to make a decision, and might have stopped you from coming in this morning, but you're going to make a decision, either for Jesus or against him. What are you going to decide? Let me tell you this morning, the life that you're living is nowhere near the life that Jesus wants for you. 
nowhere near the life that he designed for you, nowhere near the life that he wants you to have, either here or in eternity. The only way you can get that life is to come to him. Would you do that this morning? Would you? I'm not asking you to become a member of the church, although I think that's a good thing. I'm asking you to become a member of the family of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity of it. Thank you for making it so simple that as Adam preaches to the little ones back in the back, he can tell the same gospel and they can understand it. And so I pray for those that might be in this room that have never asked Jesus to be their Savior. I pray, Father, that you would help them see that their sin separates them from you, that Christ paid for that sin when he went to Calvary's cross and offers them the free gift of salvation. Help them to decide for him this morning, Father. Help them to pray and ask Jesus to be their Savior. And and we'll help them if they'll come in just a second as we sing. We'll help them. We'll show them from the Bible the verses that I've talked about, and we'll help them pray that prayer. So I pray, Father, that you bless this time of invitation. Speak to every heart. Help us to be obedient. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.